I do find that I like to give recognition to others. I don't necessarily like to, to be the center and taking recognition for everything that happens. I think the more credit you can give to the people who are doing the work, it's better. That's just always been my approach. It's really about everybody around me feeling good, that we're winning together as a team and we're making a difference for our customers and for their customers. We help telcos and emerging enterprises monetize some of the next generation network services. If you can't monetize those premium services now that you're able to offer, it's a great experience, but you're missing a giant revenue opportunity. In the end, it's all about the people and having those relationships solid. It feeds me, definitely. This is Siana TV. My name is Andrik Deckers. I'm here today with Glow Gordon, who is the CEO of Matrix Software. A very warm welcome, Glow. Thank you, Hendrik. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Glow, you studied at UC Santa Barbara and you started your career in tech in the 80s at Xerox in sales, where you stayed for almost 20 years. After that, you worked for several companies such as Oracle, SAP, Cisco, and then in 2018, you joined the board of Matrix Software, and since 2020, you are the CEO. So tell me a bit more about Matrix uh, Software, about your company. What is it that your company does, and what is it that it does really, really well? So we help uh, telcos and emerging enterprises monetize some of the uh, next generation network services um, mm -hmm. that are coming out. And, and a, a major inflection point for us right now is 5G. So we're really mm -hmm. excited to be in the space that we're in. And we, we do one thing we do very, very well, and that is to monetize these new services that are coming out. Okay, so your customers are many of the um, telco companies around the world, I can imagine. So yes. So you know this industry very, very well. What is the, the pressure? What is the, the pressure that you see that telco companies, digital service providers are uh, under at, at, at the moment? And how are they reinventing their business to serve better the customer or to win from the competition? What's going on in the industry? Oh, there's a lot happening, especially uh, with what's happening with the, these use cases that are now demanding, you know, high throughput, at the edge, ultra low latency. Uh, consumers are much more demanding now. And what we're seeing is, is the need for telcos to reinvent themselves and to be more agile and responsive to the market. Uh, the market mm -hmm. pressures are increasing. And at the same time, there's a great opportunity to charge a premium for premium services that they're now able to provide with 5G. So, um, so there's a lot happening in the market, a lot of, uh, a lot of investment going on right now in order to compete mm -hmm. well um, as these trends evolve. And how is it, how is it that Matrix uh, software is helping telco companies to address these challenges today? Well, if you think about 5G and what's happening in the industry, there's a lot of spectrum that's being auctioned off. Uh, mm -hmm. And then a telco needs to put in a new radio uh, network, a RAN, uh, then a core. And, and with, these, um, with these two um, offerings, they are now able to 
um, generate different services that uh, are in the, um, the arena that I mentioned before, ultra low mm -hmm. latency, high throughput, and, um, and so some of these use cases have different business models as well. So if you can't monetize those premium services now that you're able to offer, it's a great experience, but you're missing a giant revenue opportunity. So we are the monetization element of that new stack of, of investment that's being made in technology. How long has Matrix been in the business? And can you give us some numbers? And, and, and also, how do you reinvent your business uh, again and again? Well, so we're well established in the uh, pre-5G arena in Telco. We've been around 11 years. Uh, we're still a private okay. company, so I'm limited in what I can actually share. Sure. Um, but I'll tell you that we're doing very well. 2020 was uh, one of the best years uh, that we've had as a company. Um, I think what's happened with COVID has also put additional um, pressure to be able to self-serve as a consumer or as an enterprise. And so being able to offer digital services without having to go to a store, uh, being able to do things on your own, um, you know, that's been something that we've seen as a trend. So now uh, telcos are able to offer more uh, in that way that makes them much more competitive and appealing for a consumer or an enterprise to do business with them. Okay. We want to focus in this interview on, uh, on innovation, on open innovation. Uh, which is the, the new way of doing innovation and uh, in, uh, in ecosystem, in platforms uh, and so on. So, um, and I wanted to address um, three different aspects of uh, innovation with you. One is where we can talk about the culture and the people, one uh, where we can talk about the process of innovation, and then let's talk about the, the, the underlying technologies that are driving this, uh, this innovation. Uh, so with your um, with your experience, how do you see telco companies addressing innovation and, and what do they need to do um, to create an open culture uh, to allow innovation in typically pretty big organizations, right? Yeah, well, so there are standards that are coming out for some of these technologies that we just talked about earlier. So mm -hmm. um, there are, um, there's the Linux Foundation, there's TIP, there, you know, the 3GPP standards that are evolving. And I think being open to that, contributing to that, and also being open to a best of breed approach has been what we've seen uh, as being super effective out there. And most mm -hmm. of the uh, most of the business that we're doing today is in the best of breed arena versus trying to get everything from one vendor and sub-optimizing parts of that stack. Uh, mm -hmm. Now you have to be able to work in an open system. So we're API driven, and uh, that means that we have to interop with our competitors sometimes, and as well as partners. And so our customers are finding the need to be more open in how they're looking at the technology that will best suit their needs now and in the mm -hmm. future. So that, that's how we've uh, seen new trends start to emerge, specifically around 5G. And, and within Matrix itself, how do you make sure that you uh, foster a culture uh, for innovation? I mean, you're a technology company, so innovation is at the core, but what, what's the secret of software companies so that they, they are agile and that they are innovative? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, we are always looking at ways to reinvent ourselves and to continue to evolve with what's happening and all the trends uh, that are out there and being uh, most effective in what we're doing with our investments as well. Uh, so we're finding ourselves working with partners uh, a lot more now, more than we were mm -hmm. two years ago. And, um, you know, you'll see us working with even some competitors in some cases, as I mentioned, because what's really the ultimate goal is for our customers to be served well and then their customers to have the best experience possible. And that really takes collaboration across a much broader ecosystem than traditionally mm -hmm. um, probably took place uh, in not just telco, but in other industries as well. And uh, what's, the, what's the ingredients that you are putting in, in the company? How, how do you make sure that you attract the right people and that you create the right culture within Matrix? So when I started last January as the CEO, uh, we put three priorities in place. One mm -hmm. is North Star to make sure that we're focused on the right, uh, the right technologies and the right targets that were, uh, where we could win and compete well and, and serve the customer well. The second one is raving fans, and that is to make sure that all of our customers are um, uh, referenceable, growing, uh, renewing with us and, and um, you know, word of mouth is really important and as part of our mm -hmm. business as well as renewals. Um, and then the third is culture. And we want Matrix to be a place where people want to work. And more than half of our new employees, and we're scaling fast, we're, we're doubling in size this year uh, alone, um, more than half of our employees are referrals from existing employees. Uh, so that, that's, a, you know, that's a data point that I pay attention to. Uh, the culture that we have is one that's inclusive. Uh, the more minds on our business, um, the better. And we're better by having healthy debates and a diverse set of perspectives. So we, we look for that, we foster that, and uh, we want to continue to lean into that. I mean, you've been around for, for a number of years now, so you knew how uh, Xerox was managed back in the, the 80s and the 90s. If you would look back at management style and, and culture in technology companies back then, and if you compare that with the culture in your organization today, how, how, does, that, um, how does that compare? So you're, you're dating me, Hendrik, with all of my history here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, there, there's definitely a culture change as you go through things like Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and catering to those dynamics has been interesting to, to keep track of and, and to, uh, you know, to determine what's a really good fit coming in and how long you can expect someone to stay. Um, mm -hmm. So what kind of investments are you making in people and how are you incenting them to stay and what kind of decision, um, you know, are you making, what kind of decisions are you making that include um, their perspective and how are you involving employees? There's so much that goes into that that's so different from when I started. Um, mm -hmm. But I would also tell you that I'm seeing a lot of the same people now that I've seen over the years in, you know, we're all at different stages of our careers. So you run into people yep. at this stage of the game as well. Um, so I think there's a lot that goes into that, Hendrik, and it, it is very different today than it was back then. The tools are different. We didn't even have the internet in the 80s um, when I was a sales rep. You know, we didn't have that to go by. So I'm going to really date myself now by saying that, but that's just the truth. And not having an iPhone or the internet to work with, it, it's a completely different world today. It, it, everything's yep. instantaneous. Um, and there's just so many resources at our fingertips to be smarter and move a lot faster than we used to be able to. And so 
working with these younger generations, what is it that you need to offer them? I mean, why, if, if there's a, a, it's a high potential um, technologist in California, why would they come and work for you? Uh, you know, I, I ask my, uh, the next generation in my family those questions a lot, and I listen to them talk about their workplaces mm -hmm. and, and what excites them. Um, knowing mm -hmm. that, you know, people don't stay in jobs for 20 years, that, you know, they, you're probably going to get two, three years out of them unless you keep them super engaged, they see your career path, and they know that you care about that for them, and that they've got mm -hmm. to say in the business. Those are the kinds of things that it feels really important to keep the younger generation more energized and much more engaged. Because um, mm -hmm. th they'll, they'll move on. There's a financial element to that as well. Um, but I think a high, a high level of engagement is really important with, the, uh, with that generation, any generation. But it seems more um, now that people are willing to move on to the next you know, great thing. So that, to me, is an important aspect of it. Let's talk a bit more about people. I mean, nowadays, especially with the, 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 the COVID crisis, I mean, we can source the top talents from around the world now. The, the only thing that is uh, holding us back in collaboration is the, is the time zones a little bit. But are, are you recruiting worldwide now? What's, what's, your, what's your operating model for that? Yes, COVID has definitely um, opened, I think, a lot of our eyes to how things can be done that maybe we wouldn't have even tested before. So um, mm -hmm. necessity being the mother of invention, um, you know, we are looking beyond the Bay Area, for instance, for our top talent. Um, we, we make no assumptions right now about how we're going to go back to work. We're surveying mm -hmm. our employees to see what's important to them. And we're talking to people as they join the company about what's important to them as well. So, um, so we're, we're formulating those plans as we, you know, as we enter back into the workplace. But I don't think it's going to look the way it did before. And I think we now have found more tools are available to us to collaborate and be much more effective and still have some work-life balance as well. So I personally was spending three hours a day on the road commuting. Do I need no. to do that every single day, right? That's a, that's a quality of life and also an efficiency uh, decision. So I think we're gonna find out. You can work from your uh, house on the beach, right? That's, uh, I mean, that's quality <laughs> of life, <laughs> right there. This is true, this is true, that's right, I could. Okay. <laughs> So, Glo, let's talk a bit more about your clients, about the telco companies. Um, what do you see that's happening there uh, on the process side of innovation? How, how are they organizing themselves? Are they doing, um, making incubation centers? Do you see spin-offs? Do you see joint ventures? Or do you see corporate uh, research? What's the process side, the organization side for innovation and telcos today? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see innovation centers. We see um, trying new things and, um, mm -hmm. and being willing to, to fail fast and, and going out and trying to find new business models to generate um, some mm -hmm. disruption in a, in a pretty you know, um, legacy market. So telco is pretty legacy, but you're seeing new players like Microsoft, Cisco, um, IBM showing up in, in, in this arena in a different way than they did before. Um, you know, Microsoft's acquisition of a firm then 
um, you know, a meta switch and, and going into that private network arena is, is, is pretty interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Also seeing that the CIO and the network role starting to combine, so the convergence into a CTIO um, yep. you know, uh, organization where decisions are now getting made across both network and IT has become a, an, an, a dynamic that plays to our advantage because we're traditionally a network player, but we are definitely in the northbound API world of BSS and customer experience, and so we're touching all kinds of, um, of that value chain back to our customer's customer. So I think there's a lot going on, it's still evolving, and we're definitely leading the way in some cases. We're learning and we're sharing what we're learning as well. So as standards continue to evolve, we definitely have a seat at the table where we're learning and sharing in order to, to make sure that we're always best positioned to, um, to have that solution that's needed. And in, in your view, what are some of the the best examples of your clients where they're really good at, at innovating. Can, can you share some of the, the best practices and in innovation of your clients? Um, I, can, I can do that without naming names because some of this okay. is their <laughs> secret sauce, right? Um, and some have made decisions that aren't public yet uh, because they plan to come out and disrupt the market. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll tell you that you know, we are seeing different ways of thinking. We are seeing uh, a focus on the consumer, but also now a focus on the enterprise and B2B to X is, is a, a factor as well. So, um, so I think we're going to see some unique disruptive players coming out in the next 12 to 18 months. And they're mm -hmm. making decisions today uh, that we're at the table um, you know, to be engaged in and winning a lot of those decisions, which is really fun right now. Um, but I think we'll see what they're up to in another 12 to 18 months as the market gets even more interesting. Now that's at the new player side, but uh, let's talk about the incumbents. I mean, the, the, the big companies that are out there, do you see um, a lot of innovation going on there and, and do they I have do. new ways of organizing that? I definitely do, and uh, it, you know, in legacy telco, and pick mm -hmm. anyone that's been around for many, many years, they are definitely doing those things. And the CTIO role that I mentioned has, has become a big player in these organizations making these cross-functional decisions, involving the business a lot more than maybe I've seen in the past. So the business mm -hmm. is influencing what they need that then technology can support versus like what technology are we gonna get and then what can it do to support the business? We're seeing the inverse yeah. of that quite a bit. And um, you know, use cases are becoming much, much more important in terms of the art of the possible versus trying to solve for what's here now. Um, there are use cases that we don't even know about today that we have to be set up to support in the future. So that agility and that flexibility and that openness uh, is it, it's it's a big part of the decisions that are getting made for now, but to be mm -hmm. very relevant in the future. Okay, let's talk a bit about technology, about also open technology, open source technology, and 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 so on. Uh, what are for you the most important new technologies that will change the world as we know it? Yes, cloud has definitely come in. Kubernetes has mm -hmm. come in. Open source has come in. Um, so I think we're starting to see those trends. Uh, take hold and seeing seeing a telco put their important information on a public cloud, we're starting mm -hmm. to see that happen as a trend wow. for the mm -hmm. first time. So we're seeing decisions made in that area. Um, open source cloud even, uh, we're seeing. 
Um, Matrix can deploy really in any of those models, on-prem, in the cloud, hybrid, public, private. Um, so we, we go where the customer wants to go and we stay current on those hot technologies and try to you know, also predict where the market's going at the same, at the same time. Um, but I would say that getting to the cloud, uh, being in a Kubernetes, um, microservices, container-based technology, you know, the, the, those trends are definitely um, something uh, that we're seeing you know, show up more and more and more as requirements. Yeah. Now, one of the leading players in, 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 uh, in that market is Red Hat with their, with their technology. And Matrix, you're a partner with Red Hat. Can you talk a little bit how you collaborate with them? Yes, so IBM is a, a phenomenal partner. Um, we are seeing some of our best performances on OpenShift. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll see a press release uh, coming out here shortly talking about our performance and benchmarks on OpenShift. So we're very excited about our partnership with IBM. And um, mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing uh, joint deals together. And, um, and I think you'll see some exciting things coming from both companies here shortly. OK. Now let's talk about also the, the, the more network infrastructure, the fiber and, and the 5G and so on. Where do you see the most exciting innovations going on based on that technology? Yes, it's again, it's the use cases that are coming out um, mm -hmm. uh, that are very demanding and being able to offer premium services uh, to different um, you know, users, uh, being able to offer time bound or um, you know, uh, throughput bound, you know, any type of service that's going to help um, a customer go faster or to support a use case that maybe isn't available today. Uh, having that dynamic agility um, is really where we see that going. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what more to say about that other than there is a ton of money being spent in that area. It's not rip and replace money. It's actually sitting next to legacy stacks. So you're seeing cap and grow where then you'll see a migration of devices over to a 5G new technology stack. Um, how do we go faster without encumbering ourselves with legacy um, is part of the puzzle that we're all solving today. And that's, yeah. um, that's something that we see quite a bit of. How do, I not, how do I not hold myself back because I have all these legacy offerings, but I don't want to do the same things I've been doing with new technology. Um, so solving that is really part of, of how we go forward in, uh, for the future. Let's talk a bit more about what you call the CTIO role, uh, where the CTO and the CIO role are combined and IT and network uh, is, is, is being joined. What do you see as, as, as best operating models there and, and, and why is that so changing the industry? I think collaboration across those groups and making the investment go further and standardizing on a few things that helps you know, their investments go further is really important. I also see a lot mm -hmm. of collaboration with the CTIO across network IT, obviously, because they own those areas, but also with the business. So making sure that the business requirements, what they're seeing as competitive pressures, what they're seeing as what their customers are asking for, and being able to respond to that collectively allows them to go much faster and to be much more profitable. So, um, so I think that role has now had a natural, um, it's a naturally evolving dynamic now inside the telcos that we're seeing, uh, and even, even in um, enterprise, where you know, that synergy is becoming much more important um, as they make these decisions that really impact the business, the, the, the top line, not just the bottom line. 
Let's talk a bit more about your company, Matrix Software. How, how have you organized or reorganized the company? How, what's, what's, what's your operating model today? So um, we, we have uh, added a COO in 2020, and we've put product mm -hmm. engineering as well as delivery and services under that COO so that we've got more collaboration across um, those technical functions. We also added a chief customer officer in 2020 for our raving fans initiatives to make sure that we have um, you know, a strong process and a, and a strong focus on that. And as a company, we meet monthly and have an operating review for a half a day where we go through our key initiatives under those three priorities I mentioned earlier, and we mm -hmm. measure ourselves in a dashboard format uh, you know, in a handful of hours, but we also involve the business. So the company is invited to attend and listen and listen to what's important, listen to the executive conversations, sometimes participate, sometimes present, sometimes own a dashboard. So it, it's a way for us to organize, but also then operate and execute. Execution to me is the most important thing we can be doing right now once we get set with our strategy and then evolve yeah. that you know, be open to evolving that strategy as, 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 you know, the dynamics change as well. Yeah. So how much, let's talk about your role. How much of your time do you spend on strategy and how much of, of your time do you spend on execution? I, I would say that we spend probably, you know, me personally, I probably spend about 30% of my time on the strategy. Uh, fortunately, mm -hmm. I have a strong team who knows a lot about this space. So I have a very strong CTO, a very strong uh, head of marketing. Uh, our two co-founders are still with us. Um, they are extremely talented and knowledgeable in this space. And um, so, you know, I listen to them a lot. I, I provide my opinion. I have a point of view, but we collaborate on that. And then most of our time right now is spent on execution and really trying to be, um, you know, as, um, you know, as focused as we possibly can on measuring our progress against uh, our goals. So every month we look at progress against the areas that we've identified as priorities for the company. So are you the North Star in the company? Is that, I mean, that's what the name of one of your three pillars. Is, is that your role? <laughs> um, I would say that I, I helped with the North Star. Um, if you read the book Raving Fans, you have to know who you are. Your customers need to know who you are against what it is they need. So expectations are always aligned. And then deliver plus 1%. Always deliver plus 1%. And so, you know, I think I could be the North Star across all those priorities in terms of just pointing us in that direction to create those things. Yep. But it's definitely a collaborative effort. Um, and we, we all have a say in the business. It's not Glow's business, this is our business. I just am fortunate enough to be sitting in this chair to, to represent our company to you today. Okay, great. So, Raving Fans, that's the name of the book that, uh, that we all need to read. Uh, that's right, you gotta read that book. Okay. It's a good one, good, good classic. Okay, great. So, Glow, how would you, I mean, you're the CEO, so you need to, you have end responsibility here in this organization. So, how would you describe your management style? How do you, uh, make sure that your teams are successful? You know, I'd say I'm inclusive. Um, I, I listen to different points of view. I value diversity and healthy debates. I think if we're not having healthy debates, we're probably not getting to the best decision. Sometimes it takes mm -hmm. a little longer. Sometimes people lose patience with that. But I believe it's an important element 
of getting to the right decision for the company, for our shareholders, for our employees, for our customers. So um, I like as many people involved in the business as possible so that we all know where we're going. If we have to make a left or a right, everybody understands quickly why that happened and they can get on board quickly. If everything happens in a vacuum at the top, it's really hard for the rest of the company to follow along and adjust as needed. It keeps us, it keeps us nimble, it keeps us agile. So that's your management style. Let's also talk about your leadership style. And, and, and maybe a good way to phrase the question is, how are you perceived as a leader? And, and what, what do you think your, your teams say about you when you're not around? Um, that's a great question. I, I would love to know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I've learned, uh, my leadership style is to be very candid. Um, I like mm -hmm. to share more information um, and what I've learned is that clear communication about what is, is really important versus about what could be. And when you talk about what could be, um, you know, that's when people fill in the blanks and sometimes that works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. And people who don't know you very well or don't know me very well, um, just by the fact I'm a new CEO, um, what I learned is people don't trust easily. Um, they don't. They don't just trust you because you're the new CEO, and you know other people who've worked with you, you know, like you or trust you. It's something mm -hmm. that you have to earn, and sometimes it takes a long time. And um, we have an open line for anonymous feedback before every all hands, and anybody can ask any question that they want, and we try to answer every single question that we get. And um, it tells me a lot about how people are feeling. So my mm -hmm. open communication style has worked for me in some cases and not for me in some cases because it was interpreted differently than how I ever intended it. And, um, and those questions tell me the kind of the pulse of the company and what's still on people's minds, what they still don't know is true. So, um, you know, I'm open, I'm direct. I would say people will tell you I'm tough but fair. And, um, you know, I like to bring people who know what they're doing so they can tell me what to do instead of, me hiring a bunch of smart people and telling them what to do. It's a great Steve Jobs quote. So, um, so I think that's what people would tell you. And I have people that have followed me from several companies, which is so okay. incredibly flattering to me, but also what a great opportunity because they're some of the best people I know and we make each other successful. So uh, I think it depends on who you talk to, when you talk to them, and how, <laughs> how much they know me or don't know me. Um, but yeah. I do just try to be the same person all the time. And I, over time, I believe that the right message will, will be there in the end for everyone. So it sounds like you have your feet on the ground, you live in the facts and you present people with what is, and that's, that's, that's important in an inclusive style. Now, I can imagine that you're going through growing pains as well. I mean, you're doubling the number of people in the company in a year. So, so, so what's, the, what's the impact of, 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 of doing that, of doubling a company in, 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 in workforce? Yes, it's a, it's, a, it, it's a very important part of the culture right now that we are having to manage. So, um, you know, you've got people who are, have been here for a long, long time, and there's a lot of pride in what's already been developed, which is, you know, a phenomenal product, phenomenal company that now needs to scale. So we've, we've pivoted, with my joining, we've pivoted from being a technology-focused company to now moving into the scaling, the go-to-market, the commercial focus. 
Um, as we look to scale and double the company size, we are now working with a culture that's been here for a while in some cases, and we've been adding people along the way. So you've got um, different tenures and you've got different cultures joining, and now mm -hmm. you're merging um, you're merging different groups together that now need to work together and we need to go fast so we don't have a lot of time you know for people to get comfortable they have to hit the ground running and um, so you know the experience from the recruiting it's all part of the process so what's my touch point like from the very first time I even apply for a role to when I talk to Matrix through the hiring and onboarding process um, you know that's part of it and then when I join a team how hard is it to get you know incorporated into the culture and in the COVID world and doing all of this virtually, it presents additional challenges. So yeah. it's an evolving culture. And, and I think we have to make sure we honor those who got us here and then recognize that it's going to take more to get us there. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and merging these cultures together is definitely a dynamic we're paying attention to. Now, you were hired in this company to grow uh, the company. I mean, to, to you have your expertise in sales and then go to market. So what is it at the end of the week, at the Friday evening, when you're happy? What, what, what is it that drives you in your, uh, in your work? That we made a difference. Um, mm -hmm. And making a difference with our employees as well as with our customers. Um, someone was able to launch a new service. Somebody got a great you know, attaboy from a customer. Um, we, you know, we won a deal. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into the end of the week, me feeling good, um, but it's really about everybody around me feeling good that we're winning together as a team and we're making a difference for our customers and for their customers. Let's talk a bit more about you, Glow. Uh, you as a leader and let's talk about you, uh, your personality. So you shared with us that uh, your MBTI profile, your Myers-Briggs personality uh, type uh, profile, that we use as a common thread in our uh, leadership deep dive interviews, that you are an ISFJ. Uh, so, and that's called the defender. And that's somebody who is more introverted, observant, uh, feeling and judging personality. And people with this personality type, they tend to be warm, uh, unassuming in their own steady way. They're efficient and uh, uh, responsible, and they give caring attention to practical details in their daily life. So, People with your profile that tend to be the strengths are that they are supportive, reliable, patient, imaginative, observant, enthusiastic, loyal, hardworking, and good practical skills. Do you recognize yourself in that? I do, and I don't know how could I go wrong when Beyonce has the same profile. I mean, you know, I gotta <laughs> love that. <laughs> if I could be in the same company as Beyonce, I got, you know, I got no complaints. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about the I, because I always assumed that, that CEOs, CIOs, digital leaders, that most of them would be extroverted. Now, the, it's, it's, it's not true. I mean, it's, it's like 50-50%, uh, I would say. But how, you, you can't be a, a strong introvert and being a CEO. So how do you, how do you overcome that? How do you make sure that on an, in an all-hands meeting you're on stage and that you feel comfortable addressing uh, your clients or your prospects or, or your teams? You know, I, I have found that I'm not really the only introvert who appears extroverted. Uh, I think that's pretty mm -hmm. common. Um, and I think, you know, it's 
How do you feel at the end of a day after having a ton of interaction, being an extrovert? And so I need mm -hmm. to re-energize, and so I do things that allow me to you know, have creative thinking, whether it's a bike ride with music or going for a long walk or something where I'm just interacting uh, with myself and then, you know, being able to re-energize and, uh, and regroup. And I find that some of my best sales leaders are also introverts as well. You would never guess. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know that that's so uncommon. Um, mm -hmm. It surprises people, right? But yeah. I, I don't think it's so uncommon. Now, defenders, ISFJs, they have also their potential weaknesses. So people with your personality profile, they're sometimes too humble or they're shy. They can take uh, things too personally. They can repress their feelings, overload themselves, and sometimes too uh, reluctant to change or too altruistic. Uh, so which ones do you recognize? And how have you overcome these development points, let's, uh, let's call them? Yes, uh, I, do, I do find that I like to give recognition to others. I don't necessarily mm -hmm. like to, to be the center and taking recognition for everything that happens. I think the more credit you can give to the people who are doing the work, it's better. That's just always been my approach. Um, I do tend to also sometimes take things personally when, mm -hmm. uh, because I care so much about what happens with the company. And, uh, and so I have to remind myself that this is just, it's just how somebody feels about the information that they have. And sometimes we just have to inform people more and keep them more up to date on what's happening. Because so many great things are happening, I can't imagine anybody would be you know, feeling badly about anything. So if anybody's complaining about something, you know, I take it as my personal objective to make sure that that is cleared up as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's definitely some of that in there. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm altruistic necessarily, um, uh, but I, sometimes I do things just to pay things forward because I believe in good karma too. Um, things come back around. And um, I believe if you're consistent in who you are at every stage of the game, that in some point in the future, that will come back to be whatever it is and whoever you were all along the way. And so far it's paid off for me. because The older I get, the smaller the world gets, Hendrik. And I've run <laughs> into the same people I knew many, many years ago. And um, they, they have, you know, they have influence on things that are important to me. And it's, yep. and it's good that we had the experience we did so many years ago, because on some level it built some level of trust. You know what I mean? So you are hardworking, and you run into the danger to overload yourself. So do you, do you recognize that? Do you sometimes work too hard? And, and, and how, do you, how do you avoid it? Especially now in these days, where you can work 24-7, and yeah. we go from one Zoom to the next team meeting and Teams meeting and so on. So, so how do you cope with that? Yes, I wake up with the green light on. I always have, <laughs> and I probably always will. So I'm ready to go, and I have to force myself to um, take a half an hour when I wake up and just focus on something else, allow myself to think about other things. And mm -hmm. um, you know, my, uh, my assistant is very good about making sure I don't, she doesn't start me too early because I could easily start at 5.30 or 6 my time with Europe and go till 10, 11, 12 at night with Asia. And so we really try to keep those hours reasonable for everyone. And when you're working with a global team, 
It's the same for everybody. Every, I feel like everybody around me is working really, really hard and many, many hours. And um, you know, some people I feel like they don't ever sleep. And I think you know, long term, people can burn out. So we have um, actually introduced Zoom free Fridays every other Friday. And okay. um, yes, and, and that's been an important um, break for people that you know, we all look forward to it because you know you can get some things done, but you're not on Zoom calls all day. Um, the other side of that is, uh, you know, people also want to socialize. They 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 want to have social happy hours, which can then result in another Zoom call. Which I don't want to put another Zoom call in anybody's <laughs> calendar. And so, you know, there's that balance as well. Um, so I think you know, trying to be very um, deliberate about taking that time for yourself. You know, carve out an hour for exercise. Put it in the calendar. Um, those things to me help me stay sane. Um, but I also have good good um, help around me, making sure that you know I take the breaks that I need. So that that's been really useful. What makes you happy in 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 your life, Glow? I mean, besides and um, going for walks and taking some time for your for yourself, what is it that really makes you happy? I have a lot of love in my life. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I have a great partner. Uh, I have a wonderful family. Um, you know incredible friendships that I've had over decades. That's, that is the most rewarding part of my life. I think that people are everything in the company as well. The relationships with the people, some I've had for decades, pay dividends in, in our heart and soul. And it creates an environment where it feels good to work with people every single day that you really like and that you trust mm -hmm. and have your back and you've got their back and all those things that go into that. But I think in the end, it's all about the people and having those relationships solid for me is, is it feeds me definitely. Okay. Let's talk a bit, let's go um, a little bit deeper even and let's talk about your values. What are the, the values that you live by that, that drives, drive you in your life that in the end you really stand for? Uh, integrity is incredibly important to me. And you know, mm -hmm. I could say all the buzzwords, your word is your bond. You say you're gonna do something, do it. If you say something, mean it and walk that talk. And that's why when I go back to the other question that you asked earlier, you know, when people don't trust from the beginning, it's hard for me because I'm a person of my word. If I say I'm gonna do it, I will do it. Um, if I say something, I'm, I'm not trying to spin the situation. I'm trying to actually tell you what's going on. Um, and so it's hard when trust isn't already there because it's such a high value for me. Um, but I'm learning that that's, a, that's earned with, with, you know, the larger the organization is that you're running, that's earned over time. It's not given with some people, some trust until you're proven that you can't be trusted. So for me, just integrity, honor, your word, um, you know, those things are really, really important to me. Glow, um, in your professional life, in your personal life, um, who are the, your important mentors or people that you look up to or people that have guided you? Can, can you mention a few of them? Yeah, sure. You know, my, my parents, of course, um, my dad challenged me to reach beyond my grasp. You know, he's the one who said, you must go to college. And, you know, he, he put me on the right track where I could have deviated probably here and there and got distracted, you know, my younger years. Um, and, um, you know, made sure I got, you know, the right job out of college that you know was the right job. So um, 
So I think getting on the right track from the beginning set me on a track that you know helped me just stay focused after that. So getting me through those earlier decisions that you know fork in the road here and there. I chose the right uh, the right path. Thanks to my dad, showed me how to work hard and be focused. My mom has incredible business skills, great financial mind, um, and um, you know she's she's uh, you know still to this day she's still doing uh, investor club and buying stocks and trading, and you know she's extremely sharp and very very sound financial um, uh, mind. And uh, you know I would say those are probably my biggest mentors just in my earlier years to make sure I got mm -hmm. on the right track. Um, as I got into my career, there were two people that um, really made a difference in my career. Um, one was uh, Dave Packer, and he was um, a regional leader at PeopleSoft. He took a chance on me to go into software when I had just spent all my career in hardware. I took a year off, I pivoted, and went into software. Dave took a chance on me based on my leadership skills versus my, uh, my knowledge of software. And, um, and it worked out really well. You know, I had a great experience. Um, you know, he was rewarded for that as well. Uh, and the next one, that the most recent one, is uh, Jahangir Mohammed, who was the CEO and founder of Jasper, which is an IoT company. I was the CRO there, and um, it was my first startup experience after being in big companies my whole career. Mm -hmm. And he took a chance on me as well. And um, you know, we killed it. And we were acquired by Cisco. And you know, he's gone off to do some noble work. And um, you know, just incredibly fortunate to have those kinds of people in my career. Okay. Do you have a mantra in your life, Glow? A saying that helps you if you, I don't know, have to make tough decisions or, or what's, what's your personal mantra? Yes, my personal mantra is never settle. And what does that mean? <laughs> uh, so uh, my dad actually put it in, in a way one last round turn. So it, you know he used to work on a big iron, um, you know ironworks project, you know somewhere where the, these bolts were human size, big giant bolts, and they would go out and they would crank these bolts, and just when you thought you got them tight, you do one more last round turn because there's always a little bit more to do, and so. You know, don't settle for less when you know you could get more. Don't settle just because you're out of time or you're tired or you're hungry. Go do it the right way and don't settle for less than what you know you can get. So just go out and do that one last round turn if you can. I'm curious, Glow, what, what was the best thing that, that ever happened to you in your life? The best thing that ever happened to me in my life would have to be meeting my partner. And mm -hmm. that would be absolutely the best thing that's ever happened to me. Okay, yes. and the worst thing, because that's where we learn most from. So what are the, yes. the bad things that happened to you and, and how did you overcome them and what did you learn from it? One of the worst things, I would say probably the most challenging things, but probably, as you said, the most revealing things about ourselves is when we move from Jamaica back to California and mm -hmm. going from a British school system in uniforms and having an extremely diverse um, set of classmates um, mm -hmm. in every way. And then coming to California, going to a public school where you have to figure out what to wear and how to you know, get into the communities. And um, you know, that's a tough age. And, uh, and having to figure it out on my own without a lot of resources, that was mm -hmm. very, very challenging. So um, I'd say that's probably the toughest thing that I've ever had to get through in my life. And I'll, I'll give you one example. In Jamaica, uh, there aren't a lot of stoplights. 
So when you come to the States and there's stoplights and there's crosswalks and there are um, uh, little boxes that say push this to walk, you don't even know what that means. So you literally stand there and you push the button to see what's supposed to happen next. And then the sign says walk. Okay, I'm supposed to walk. And you start to walk and then it says don't walk, don't walk. So you run back to the curb and you think, okay, I wasn't fast enough or I waited too long or maybe I was supposed to push the button more times. And those kinds of things that you have to figure out on your own, those are pretty um, formative moments. And, and I had quite a few of those. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was unsettling in lots of ways, but it forced you to figure things out and how to survive really in most situations. Um, that to me was probably the worst and the best thing outside of meeting my partner. Uh, that happened in my life. What do you worry about nowadays? I mean, what, what, what is it that you fear in your life? Where are, where are your, um, your worries today? Hendrik, I'm fearless. I don't fear anything, <laughs> and I don't operate out of fear uh, ever, um, and I don't make fear-based decisions, and I gut-check myself to see if any decision I'm making is based out of fear. So, mm -hmm. um, so you know, there are things I'm concerned about or that I worry about or, you know, that I spend time thinking about how we're going to solve personally and professionally. Yes, mm -hmm. I have aging parents. You know, how, how do we yeah. make sure that they're well taken care of? Those are the things that occupy my mind more than being afraid of anything. Um, and, you know, I didn't think a lot about this question, but it's a really good one. It's a thought-provoking one, but that, that, that's where I am today. Okay. Uh, Gloria, you had a, a very nice life, a very successful professional career, personal life, very successful. Out of all these experiences, what is it that you're most grateful for? I'm really grateful that people took chances on me at some very pivotal moments in, in my life and in my career, uh, which I've mentioned mm -hmm. uh, earlier. I'm also grateful that um, I was given the freedom just to live out loud as myself. So, uh, you know, I'm not a traditional, um, necessarily traditional follower of rules and norms and customs. And I was allowed to operate um, very freely, um, authentically as myself. And uh, uh, people took a chance on me, my family and my friends, everybody, you know, just accepts me as who I am. And that allows me just to be the best version of myself. So I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've had in my life. So, Glo, thank you so much for, uh, for your time and, and, uh, and this interview. Let's finish with uh, the question, um, the following question. What is the advice that you would give as a successful, experienced uh, CEO of a software company to young people that are watching these interviews and that also have the ambition to become a leader in tech space? What's your advice to them? My advice would be to do what you love and the rest will come and to always be kind and respectful to people, no matter the circumstance. Um, there are tough messages that need to be delivered at times, but there is a time and a place and a respectful way to do that, as well as celebrate the things that are going well that you want people to continue to do. So, you know, catch people doing things right and recognize those things because that will draw more of that. Uh, you know, that's, that's been what I found, but mostly do what you love and everything else will come. And with these wise words, Glow, thank you so much for the interview. 
Um, I'm looking forward to an opportunity where either you come over to Belgium or I come over to, uh, to, uh, to California. We can meet in person and have a beer together and, and, and chat a bit more. So thank you for uh, sharing all your, uh, your wisdom, your visions, your experiences. As, uh, it was really, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. I, did, I do the same. So I'd love to see you as well and I uh, look forward to that. So thank you, Hendrik. Mm -hmm.